morning, church. Thank you for joining us here at Crossroads Ministries this morning. If you're not auditorium, would you please stand as we worship? For those of you who are joining us online, we want to thank you for tuning in as well. As we lift up praises and adorations to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We worship a risen Savior. He lives and is here today. See the tomb where he lay. See the stone roll away. He is risen. He is risen. He's alive. Touch his scars and believe he is risen, he is risen, he's alive.
church.
Good morning, everybody. You may have a seat. It's good to be with you all this morning. I want to remind us what we just sang is that there is no fear in love. The perfect love, which is only found in Jesus Christ, perfect love casts out all fear. So that's the truth that we just sang, church. 
So we're glad that you're all here, glad that we are joined by our online church family. Welcome, and all of our guests, please um, please know that it is, it is our privilege that you're here this morning. It's our honor. Um, so please stop by the Welcome Center. We'd love to connect with you there. We also have a gift for you, um, all of our guests. And then um, if you're online, let us know that you're online, and we'd love to connect with you online as well. But a couple things that are coming up. Uh, our extravaganza is coming up on the 23rd of March. And so a few things with this. One is be in prayer because when we have these events, and again, God has been doing this. Our kids ministry team has been leading this with a whole army of, of us, of us. <laughs> really. It, it, this, this entire event is, is a huge event. And, and it's like all these families come up, kids, families. Moms and dads, grandparents, neighbors, this is a tremendous, tremendous event. And so the goal is not eggs. The goal isn't candy, which is always good. But we want these people to connect with somebody. We want them to connect with, with one of you. We want them to connect with the team that serves, the, the team that's there. And then we want to connect them to this place. You know, people might come to this event for years upon years, and then it might be three or four years later they go, you know what, I'm going to come check out this church on the hill that I went and did the trunk and treat, or I did the you know, car cruise, or I did you know, the extravaganza, or what have you, or I came up at a Christmas concert. These are all these type of events. The goal is to connect them to the church so that we can connect them to Christ. And so be in prayer for this event. You can sign up. On, if you go on the inside of your bullets, and there's a little handout in there with more information. There's also a table in the foyer. Please uh, connect with them in the foyer, and they'll explain how you can be a part of the team that puts this entire egg hunt on. And then uh, most importantly, just pray. So maybe maybe you can't serve that day, or uh, maybe, you know, just something's going on or what have you. But take that thing in the bullets and put it on your fridge or put it where you'll see it. And be in prayer for this event. This would be a tremendous connecting opportunity to connect somebody to a person, to a church, and then we can connect them to Christ. So be in prayer for the extravaganza on the 23rd. And then that that Friday, we're having our Good Friday night of worship and communion at 7 p.m. right here at the church. And so I encourage you to invite someone to join you, be a part of our Good Friday uh, night of worship and communion. We're going to receive communion as a church. We're going to worship the Lord through song. And we're going to reflect on the cross, reflect on all that Jesus did for us. And so that's going to be on Good Friday. And then Saturday, we're going to start our Easter gatherings. And that's going to be at 6 p.m. on the 30th. And then Easter Sunday, we're going to have three gatherings, 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. So we're adding one more to our Sunday gathering on Easter Sunday at 8 a.m. So 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11. Join us for one of those. And again, invite someone to come with you, to sit with you, to be a part of it. Um, it's going to be a really just, it's going to be a celebratory day because we're going to celebrate the greatest news ever, that Jesus paid the penalty that we could not pay for our sins, that he that he died on the cross, was buried, and three days later he rose again, and we celebrate our risen Savior. And so we're going to do that Easter weekend, and it's going to be a great time as a church family, a special time. And this might be the first time that somebody that you know in your circle and your family might hear about the greatest news ever. So enjoy, ask them to join you and be a part of uh, one of our Easter gatherings and our Good Friday gathering. But as we continue on this morning, church, would you stand with me here in the house? And uh, I just want to encourage you, just keep, just keep moving towards that mission to, to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we're here is Jesus. And so one of those ways that we are growing is, is through giving. Uh, so thank you church for being faithful and giving. You can give online through the mail or the offering boxes here in the foyer or in the foyer in the auditorium. But we thank you so much for being so faithful and to the Lord. Let's pray and just ask him, just move our hearts and open up our eyes and open up our ears to what he's going to teach us this morning. Father God, we we come before you 
God, as we just, we've just got done singing a song, Lord, that just, um, it's one we all need to hear. God, in a world that, that really pushes fear as a, as a means of control, as a means of, of power, um, Lord, as a means of just so many ways, Lord, that we, um, we know that the, <laughs> we know that when we think about your love for us, that your word tells us that, that, that there's no fear in this love that you have for us. In fact, this love you have for us is perfect, and it casts out all fear. And so, God, this morning, um, as, as we just think about all the different messages that we're hearing and, Lord, how so much of it is just plagued with fear, God, that we would know that the love you have for us has no fear. And so that this would be a morning where maybe that weight would just even now would just fall off. Lord, that the, the love you have for us casts out all fear. Lord, this morning we want to worship you. We want to praise your name. We want to lift you up above anything else. God, we pray for the extravaganza coming up. We pray for our Good Friday gathering as well as our Easter gatherings. It's all for your honor and your praise, Lord, that many people would come to know you and start growing and that they would tell other people about you. Just like the early disciples did. Once they started talking to you, Jesus, and you changed and transformed their life, they told others and said, you've got to come and see, Jesus. You've got to come and see. God, that's what you're asking us to do, to tell other people to come and see this Jesus. Because you've changed us. You've transformed us. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for this perfect love that you have for us. In Christ's name, amen. Okay. 
awestruck wonder at the mention of your name. Jesus, your name is power. to the cross. We've been on a journey. We started last week. We're looking at the last six months of the life of Jesus. We're looking at some of the conversations along the way that he has as he starts out the last six months. So he's had his three, roughly about three years of public ministry. Now he's going into the final six months and it's the road to Jerusalem. As he walks the journey to Jerusalem, this is typically a three to five day journey, and then you'd be in Jerusalem. But we're, we said last week that he's on a six month journey, and this is the final six months of his life before he ends up in Jerusalem on the cross. And so as uh, we're preparing for Easter, preparing our hearts, 
We started out last week with Luke 9:51. It says that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So Jesus starts and he says, man, I am determined. I've got to go to Jerusalem. Last week we saw he stopped in the village, uh, in a village in Samaria. And in Samaria he faces rejection. And so uh, James and John, they wanted to call thunder and lightning down from heaven to take, lightning down from heaven to take judgment against these people who rejected Jesus. And Jesus says, no, we're going to the next town. And so they continue on. And so today we're going to see a few people that Jesus came and uh, he encounters here today. Uh, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That was the mission. The, whole, the very mission that Jesus came to the earth was so that lost people, people who don't know Jesus, you see, when, when you're walking in darkness, you're lost. Uh, the, the world, the lights haven't been turned on yet spiritually. So God says he came to turn the lights on. He came to seek and to save the lost. And so this is the journey that we're on. And as you notice this journey of him seeking and saving the lost, you're going to find out that Jesus encounters, uh, really, he's going to encounter you and I. As we go through the journey today, you're going to see three men that he comes up and he meets. And each one of them are going to be people that, that are going to help you see something about your life. And hopefully you'll see something about your heart here today. Because Jesus really encounters you and I on the road to Jerusalem. And as we look at this today, first of all, we're going to see that Jesus encounters our motives. What's our motive for following Christ? Uh, you claim to be a Christ follower. What is your motive to follow Christ? Jesus is going to probe the heart of the motives of the three men that we're talking about here this morning. And we, we also need to examine our hearts. So I want to encourage you to examine your heart as we go through this, as we look through the Scripture and we determine, okay, what, what is he saying here? What, do we, what are we finding out about really following Jesus this morning? Luke chapter 9, verse 57, picking up where we left off last week. Verse 57, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so what we see here is a man comes to Jesus and he says, I will follow you, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And it's like this big warning light comes on. You, know, you ever been in, uh, in, in uh, Home Depot whenever all of a sudden the forklift comes down the aisle there? Beep, 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 beep. You hear that? All right, it's warning. Get out of the way. So this is what happens. Jesus hears this man. Lord, I will follow you. I'll go wherever you say I'll go. And Jesus goes, beep, 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 beep. Warning, warning. I want you to know what you're saying. I don't think you understand. And so Jesus is looking into the motive of the heart of this man. And so he sends a warning out. Notice the man says, Lord. Lord, I will follow you. So this man at least started with the right thing. He had seen, he had been an eyewitness to Jesus, obviously. He's there, and uh, he sees Jesus. He says, Lord, I will follow you. He says, you are my king, you're my leader. I will go anywhere with you. I will submit to you fully. But Jesus gives him a warning. And he wants to look here this morning about motives. And so sometimes we have a motive that has no expense. And so we've got to look at motives. Jesus encounters our motives, and uh, uh, that's the first point in your notes there, but they're motives without expense. 
Uh, have we counted the cost? Are we counting the cost of our motives this morning? Uh, he comes, but this man comes to Jesus. He's ready to follow. He's like, I'll go wherever you go, but he's not counting the cost. Uh, everybody wants to have these great religious moments and have these great highs and, and have the good part of following Jesus, but do they understand the low parts of following Jesus? He says, Lord, and I recognize the greatness and value of who you are. You are the Lord. Lord, I will follow you. I'll go wherever you go. And, and so this morning I want to ask you, have you recognized the greatness of who Jesus is? Do we really understand that he's God? He's God in the flesh. Jesus, God left heaven, came down and is walking on earth. And he is this human, in human form, here is God walking and interacting with mankind. And as he's interacting with mankind, he says, I want you to follow me. This man looks at him and says, Lord. And I want to ask you this morning, can you say that of Jesus this morning? Can you call him Lord? Like, can you, do you understand who you're talking to here? Do you understand his great name? Um, Matthew eight nineteen tells us a little bit more about this person. And Matthew's rendition says that it was a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Um, a scribe. What do we know about a scribe? Scribes are well-educated people. And if you're a well-educated person, there was some money. He had to have a sponsor for his education. So there was some sort of backing, financial backing. He had affluency, some sort of money. He had some money in the deal. He had resources. Um, he was very intelligent. I mean, he was a brilliant, brilliant person. And the man says, I will follow you anywhere that you go. And then Jesus throws a little bit of cold water on it. And, and so I want to ask you this morning, what's your hurdle to following Jesus? Yeah, and this man, he came, and uh, I'm sure that money played a big part of it. I'm sure that his intellect played a big part of it. Like, God gave you your brain. Thanks be to God for intellect. Like, God has given us all intellect. He's given some much more intellect than others. But thank God he gave me a little bit. I'm so happy with it, right? What is, what is, what is your level of intellect? Listen, maybe that is what's getting in the way. And so sometimes there's questions that you have, things that you have to work through, and you have to work through the hurdles of, of the intellect. And so this man had a number of hurdles, and Jesus is trying to bring up, he's trying to get to his heart. And then as far as money, listen, there's nothing wrong with money. Money's a great thing, and it's uh, to be used wisely, to be used for God, and it's a provision from God for many people. Um, but this man, he was a thinker. He was a scribe. And look what Jesus says to him. He says, uh-huh, you want to follow me? The foxes have holes. Birds of the air have a nest. But I, the Son of Man, I don't have a place to lay my head down. You want to follow me? Come on and go. And so this morning, I want to ask you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, have you counted the cost? Boy, we don't like to talk about the cost of following Jesus too much. Everybody likes to talk about the benefits. Um, but there's a cost. And I'll tell you what, it is, the cost is not, you don't get to heaven by the cost. The, the ultimate way you get into heaven, the only way you get into heaven is what Jesus did on the cross, Right? Jesus died on the cross. He paid for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved from the punishment of your sin. Whoever, right? Jesus paid the cost. The price has been paid in full. Now Jesus says, 
follow me. There is a cost to following me. Because if you're following Jesus, it means you're no longer following something else. Jesus said no man can have two masters for either he will hate one or love the other. So you, you you, you you can't be a follower of Jesus and be a follower of myself and the things that make me happy and me, 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 or whatever it is that you were driving after before. You now have to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I, what, what the, the motives without understanding, I think this morning we look at some motives here uh, that maybe this man didn't totally understand what was going on. You know, have you ever heard people say, well, well here's why I would want to be a Christian. And I think people will give you different answers as to why I want to be a Christian. There's things that I want to be a Christian. So why would I want to be a Christian? Uh, we sang a song this morning. I think it's a great song. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Man, I want to be a Christian, so I'm no longer a slave to fear. I want to be a Christian because of the benefits. And you start to list the benefits. And quite often, I will even tell you that as your pastor. I'll say, hey, listen, the benefits to, to, to following Christ are incredible. Come and follow But let me tell you the whole story. If you are going to follow this new person, if you're going to follow Jesus, it means that there's something that you're leaving to follow. See, that's the old old word in the Bible that we hear come up over and over is repentance. And people, when they hear that word repentance, they get really wigged out because it means that, oh, I, I, I was bad and now I'm going to be good. No, what it means is that you were following something that was way off course and now you're leaving that and you're following something new. And so Jesus says here, I want you to follow me. But do you understand? You won't have a place to lay your head, basically. Um, how about the why versus I must? Let me tell you this. As I've gone through the Bible, there are so many reasons that you could say, well, here's why I want to be a Christian. Here's why I want to be a Christian. At the end of the day, it's more like this. I have to be a Christian. When I understand who Jesus is, when I understand who God is, when I understand what this book says about him and what this book says about me, about my sin that has separated me from the Holy God, there is no why I want to be a Christian. I have to be a Christian. There is no other option. You see, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So therefore, it is now I must become a Christian. Jesus said you must be born again whenever he uh, uh, talked to, to Nicodemus. And so I want to encourage you, this book, as you read it, it compels me to become a Christian. It compels me to become a follower of Jesus Christ. So I must do uh, as Jesus has called me to do. So God's called me to become a follower. So I'm no longer walking in my old way. I'm walking in the new way. And that way is Jesus. Many people think, man, if you follow Jesus, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That you'll have no more problems. That everything will be all just happy-go-lucky all the time. And let me tell you, Jesus never said that. One of these days I'm going to do a series, Things Jesus Never Said. Remind me of that, okay? Because there's so many of them. And they're all over TikTok and all those other things you people looking at out there, right? Listen, they're all over the place. Jesus never said. If you go turn on TV and you hear these preachers that come on there, not all of them, there's many good on there, but some of them will get on there and say, you know, if you just send in a check, God will bless you. Wow. Others will say, if you just pray this prayer, 
You'll be healthy, wealthy. Everything will be wonderful. And you'll, your life will never be the same. And let me tell you, your life will never be the same if you follow Jesus, but it will not be free of problems. There is a cost to following Jesus. And I could say it like this. It's hard to be a follower of Jesus, but it's even harder to be an unbeliever. Oh, yeah, as I follow Jesus, I've had to turn from and I've turned to. But let me tell you, if you read this book and you understand where, 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 where the final destination is going, it's much harder to be an unbeliever than it is to be a believer and a follower of Jesus. John chapter 6, Jesus was uh, dealing with uh, an issue. He, he had been teaching, and his teaching sifted the crowd. So a number of people that were known as disciples, not the 12 disciples, but just disciples in general that were followers, began to walk away. John chapter 6, verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him uh, no more. Solemn experience. Now Jesus says to the 12, do you also want to go away? And I love that. Like Jesus challenged, here's the 12 that were his closest. And one of them is going to betray him anyhow in a few weeks, a few months. And he says, you want to leave too? And I love Peter. You know, Peter always has the greatest statements, doesn't he? Peter, he's got so much inspiration, and sometimes he's just got a lot of perspiration. You know what I mean? That's, that's Peter. He's high and he's low. Look what Peter says. Verse 68, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I must become a Christian. I must become a follower of Jesus. It is not I want to. It is I must. I have to. There is no other option. This word compels me. Who Jesus is compels me. See, if he is God, it demands a response from you and from me. And so it is either I must become his follower or I must let it go and I keep following whatever I'm going to do. And so this is the challenge here that we see in the Scripture. I have got to be a Christian no matter when things are good or when things are bad. When it's a stormy day or it's a sunny day. When there's times of peace or when there's times of war. I am going to be a Christian. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, In this world you will have troubles, but I leave you peace, not as the world leaves, but as I give to you. How does God give us peace? In the midst of all this crazy, messed up world, you have peace. In the midst of the problems, there is peace. And so God walks us through the journey. Motives without appreciation. They failed to truly understand who Jesus is. And so um, Jesus is not saying, hey, you've got to sign up. I've got to meet some quota of followers today. He's saying, look, I want you to have eternal life. This is not something, because when you follow me, this is not something that you just do for a little season and it's done. This is going to require your life. This is going to require everything about you. And I want you to understand who I really am. And as you follow Christ, let me tell you, count the cost. Because you will be mocked, you'll be ridiculed, and you'll be misunderstood. And that's just in your own family. Like many times I'll hear people tell me that they, they came home, they, they, were, they maybe came here and they started to hear about Christ and they trust Jesus Christ and then they go home and their family says, what is wrong with you? We like the old you better because they don't understand. They don't understand this newness, this, this new creation that's happening. They don't understand that you're spiritually alive. They don't understand the, the decisions that you're making because of who Jesus Christ is.
And so he bids to, the, to his followers to come and follow me and to understand who he is. The second man that we see here, Jesus encounters our priorities. So the first man we see goes after his motives. And he says, hey, listen, why do you want to follow me? I don't have a place to stay. I'm, I, you know, the scribe had a lot of wealth. So I probably just weeded the guy right out right there. If you want to follow me, I don't have a place to sleep. So come on. We have a rock over here we're going to be sleeping on. Uh, number two, Jesus encounters our priorities. Verse 59, the second man we meet this morning, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Oh, this one's a tough one, isn't it? I've read these verses many times, and I've been uncomfortable every time I read them. Uh, let me give you just a little bit of insight here. Number one, he's talking about the priority of number one. He's going to the priorities in his life, number one. Uh, he says, uh, Jesus comes to him. The first guy came to him and says, I want to follow you. This man, Jesus goes over and says, follow me. Follow me. It's the same, uh, same thing that he did for Matthew, the tax collector. Matthew, who is a disciple that you know is the 12, three years earlier. From this point, go back about three years earlier. Jesus is having his public ministry. He's teaching. Matthew's over there. He's the tax collector. And Matthew was known as a, uh, you know, what the tax collectors were known for, for stealing, for thieving. The, I've shared with you before about the tax collector. The tax collector would come and they would buy the right from Rome to charge you tax. So they would come over and they would say, Scott, you owe $1,000, right? So he buy, he, uh, Matthew goes, he buys the right to charge Scott $1,000 for the tax. But when it's time for tax to come due, I'm sorry, Scott, you owe $1,500, right? So he profits $500. Well, Scott's a little bit tougher. Scott's going to fight him a little bit because I know Scott pretty well, right? So he ends up getting about 1250 out of Scott instead of 1500 but he still pockets the 250 extra. And he would do this over and over and over. So what would happen was these people would become very rich. They had lots of money and they were Jews who sold out to the Rome, to Rome. And so what happened is Matthew, now consider this, we don't think about this too often when you're watching those Bible movies, right? Matthew left a lot of money follow Jesus. Notice I didn't say money is a problem. I said for Matthew, that's what he left. Matthew turned from this, and he was stealing and robbing and everything to get it. And imagine what all he had. And Jesus says, follow me. So he comes and he follows him. James and John, they were fishermen. They left their nets. And Jesus says to follow me. So they left their livelihood. They left their identity. All the things that they had wrapped up in those nets. Man, that, man, we are fishermen. I mean, this is the trade. They had grown up in families of fishermen. And it's been handed down from generations, from generations. And, man, these are the best of the best. And, man, they're, you want me to leave? You said to follow me. And so they dropped their nets and followed Jesus. So what does it mean for us? I don't think it means... That you can't have money. I don't think it means that you can't have a job. But it means where's our priority of number one? Am I following Jesus the very first in my life? 
This is, follow me. That's the very basic of discipleship. You're going to hear us talk a lot about being a disciple. Um, all, all through the scripture and the New Testament, you see this word disciple come up. And so what is a disciple but a follower, a learner, an apprentice of Jesus, if you will? Not, it's not just head knowledge. You become like your master. And so Jesus says to follow me. So what does that mean in our modern day? I don't think Jesus is saying, well, you've got to quit your job or you can't have this, you can't have that. But he's saying, as you follow me, there will be something that you will leave. And I think it means to give your heart to, give your heart to Christ and give your hands to Christ and say, wherever I am, I am following you. So in your job, you say, I'm following God. In your family, I'm following God. In your community, I'm following God. What is the task that God's called you to? I'm following God. I'm going to use the things that God has given me. I'm going to follow him to the best of my ability. And so there's no better definition of discipleship than this word, follow me. Discipleship is not a course. Uh, you'll hear me talk about people being discipled. Right now in our church, there's a number of people that are meeting one-on-one. It's kind of this quiet little movement that happens. People get together and they meet one-on-one. They'll do a small study. Um, But discipleship is not a study. Discipleship is not a a book that you go through outside of this book, the Bible. Okay? Um, Discipleship is you following Jesus Christ. You learn how to read. I will follow him. All right? So, therefore, you learn how to read the Bible or listen to it on your app. You learn how to pray. You learn how to uh, ask questions. And, and, and listen, this is what happened to me as a young man. I came out here. Somebody told me, say, said, hey, listen, if you will become, uh, if you will jump on this bus, we're going to, and I live down in Dormont. I've told you this before. Live down in Dormont. And they said, if you jump on that bus, go to this church. They have donuts and then you'll have a good time, right? So I jumped on there and I've been eating donuts for a number of years now, Okay. <laughs> That was all the way back since I was seven years old, right? So I started coming to the church. And uh, as, I, as I got a little bit older, man, all of a sudden we started having youth group. And youth group was so much fun. I'll never forget, Jim Watts was the youth pastor at that time. And uh, Jim Watts had, uh, would always be buying us pizza all the time. Like that. So we moved from donuts to pizza. So we just kept changing the, the venue there, right? I'll never forget, we had an all, uh, not an all night, we had some sort of big event up here. We packed the auditorium out, and then they had pizza in the, in the gymnasium. It was, uh, back in those days, it was homemade pizza. Do you remember that, when you bought the Billy Boy's pizza from Giant Eagle? So they brought all these Billy Boy's pizza, and it was that shell, and you'd put the sauce on, and they'd make it. So they'd cut it up, and they'd put it under these lights, and then they'd throw the next piece on top of there, and the next piece on top of there. And we came out of this big meeting, and I'll never forget, the kid who went over and got the first slice, he was so happy because he had cheese on the top and on the bottom. And then you came down to the next slice, there was no cheese on the top because the guy above you had the cheese. And then you had cheese on the bottom of your pizza. And we just kept having fun. We just, we had, these were good memories here, right? And so what happened was, eventually, I said, boy, there's a lot of fun in this church. I like the donuts. I like the pizza. I like the horsing around. I like all the fun. And, and listen, they did all these fun events and they were so happy, so exciting. And what ended up happening was I became a follower, not of pizza and donuts, but of Jesus. Maybe a little bit of pizza and donuts. But Jesus, 
listen, there was something that drove inside of me. My parents didn't come to church. I love when I see the families in our church. You bring your kids. There's nothing, there's no better place that you can bring your kid than to church. Amen? Let's thank God for the parents of our church that are doing it up, man. Let me tell you, the, the, the church is not perfect. It wasn't supposed to be perfect. It's a bunch of fallen people that are forgiven, that are following Christ. My parents didn't come to church. So for me, it was a complete miracle that somebody offered me a donut to get there. All right? And then I, I got this drive inside of me. Because once I realized who he really is, I said, God, I can't help but follow you. And so I, I stumbled. I struggled. I had my ups and I had my downs. But I'm still following Jesus today. Because somebody a very long time ago cared about me. And said, I want you to come in here and I want you to check out Jesus. So I didn't know I was coming for Jesus. So maybe at first my motivation was for some fun. But eventually I understood that I will live for him. And no matter what, no matter the cost, I will sell my life out to Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. He says to come and follow me. You know, if you went into your boss and you said, what's it take to be successful here? I'd like to be a very successful uh, employee here. And your boss says, boy, I love that. Follow me. (laughs) What would you do? Like, give it a try tomorrow. And your boss says, follow me. What would you do? You'd, You'd be writing down everything he says. Okay, he got in here at 8.15. He turned the coffee pot on. Um, boy, when he's in a meeting, he, calls, he, he keeps his cool. He never ends on time. Things like that, right? You'd be, you'd be learning, right? You'd learn from the master. You'd, you'd say it's everything he does. Like, he's probably not going to give you a course on how it's done. He'd just say, watch me. Let's go. And so I want to encourage you as a follower of Jesus Christ, set the number one priority in your life. Make the priority of number one Jesus. What does God say about my work ethic? What does God say about me being a parent? What does God say about love? What does God say about sexuality? What does God say about war? What does God say about every area of life? And I look at that and I say, God, I surrender. I surrender all to follow you. And see, this is where it gets a little bit quiet in the auditorium. Because we all know that Jesus loves us. We all know that he died on the cross. And we all know that this is a free gift of eternal life. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. But Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, I'm going to be in every part of your life. There was the priority of urgency. He He said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. Um, You know, it sounds like he's indifferent, doesn't it? 
oh, well, you just bury your dead some other time. Don't worry about that. Let the dead bury their dead. That's not what was happening. Jesus never taught that. Jesus never taught anti-family. Everything Jesus taught was all about how to love your family, how to love God and love people, right? So what's happening here? Let me give you a little bit better idea in in the Greek background. It's more like this. He's saying, the man is coming to him and saying, he's not saying my dad is dead. He's saying, first, let me go out and wait until my dad dies. And I don't know when that is. It could be a few years. It could be, it could be a few decades. And after I settle everything over there and I get the inheritance and all that, then I'll follow you. I, I mean, like, like this, like, can you imagine this conversation happening with Jesus? He's not saying, hey, my dad's dead. I've got to go home. Because whenever a man died in that culture, you buried him the same day. You buried him before sundown that night. So, so he wasn't saying, hey, my dad's dead. I've got to go home and do this for sundown. I'll see you in the morning. Jesus would have certainly said, yeah, I'll see you first thing tomorrow. Let's go. What he's saying here, this man is saying, you know what? I've got my priorities of life. I want to accomplish my goals first. I want to take care of all these things first, and I want to do my family. I want everything to come in to play here. But God says here, uh, let the dead bury the dead. Um, The second thing is that the father is spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. Let the spiritually dead people bury the spiritually dead people. You, my friend, you come and live. You walk with me. You follow me. But, but what about my dad? He needs Jesus. And listen, I want to tell you the, the greatest way for you to get your family members who are spiritually dead to become alive in Jesus Christ is for you to follow Jesus and to be spiritually alive, and then they will see it. They will say, I want what you have. Uh, as a Christian, you know, we see dead people all the time. There's dead, spiritually dead people everywhere. It's like zombies. Everybody's walking around. They're spiritually dead. But yet God has came, Jesus came not to make, good people, make bad people good, but to make spiritually dead people alive. Notice this verse here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This is our mission. He, told, he just told him there. He says, go out and preach the kingdom. Uh, Paul says this, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance. So rising up to God. So as a believer of Jesus, you are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. So it's kind of like, remember Peanuts with... Uh, Pigpen, the guy that had all the cloud of dust around him, right? Pigpen, you know? Remember Pigpen? It's like, man, you know, he's always got this cloud around him. So as, as a believer, we have this fragrance that's coming out of us, and it says it's perceived differently by, by the world and by the family of God. It says, to those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. The other day, I was down here at the beach house. You guys like the beach house? It's a great place for lunch. If I end on time, you'll get down there one of these days. Great place for lunch. I was down there for breakfast with my guys on Tuesday mornings that I always go down there and hang out. And I'm sitting there, and I noticed all of a sudden, a few of the, uh, the girls that were working there kept coming by my chair frequently. I was like, that's a little bit weird. I just didn't think nothing. I just thought, well, they're a little bit busy. 
then they start laughing. And they're like, <laughs> and they're like, it's either Ken or George. And they're like, you know, because we're like this little family down there, right? So it's either Ken or George. And, I, and I'm like, oh, I hope it's a good smell. And they come over and they're like, no, it smells good. We're just not sure which one it is. And so they came over and they walked by me like 20 times. And I go, it's Ken. He was. He smells so good today. I go home and I tell my wife this story. She goes, impossible. <laughs> she goes, there's no way. She goes, they were mocking you. I said, honey, you don't like the smell of degree, fresh breeze or whatever it is that I use, you know? Whatever's on sale is what I put on today, right? So I'm like, I go in there. I, I was like, man, I must have put a little too much on that day because the whole restaurant was smelling it, you know? I was like, and I was like, ah, that's just what happens when you get older. You just start to smell good, right? I know. Anyhow, we'll stop there, right? So anyhow. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, so by, 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 they, they were loving it down there. You know, I had to go home and tell my wife. I said, honey, all these, all these girls thought I smelled good today. I said, it had to be true confession, right? So, but listen, as, uh, as you do this, look at the difference here. The smell, those who are perishing think we smell like death. But to those who are being saved, we're a life-giving perfume. I, I want to encourage us because as Christians, when we come together, this is our koinonia fellowship. Everything right here. We, we serve God. We're, fat, we're together. We're faithful, knowing him and growing him. And so as we get to, to this deep, deep part of life, we share everything, and this is where the where, where man people say, "Wow, this is wonderful." And so we've got to keep going out after the spiritually dead to bring them to Christ. So it's the priority of necessity. He says, "Let the dead bury the dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God." And so God's called us to be urgent. It's very necessary that we get out and that we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the other thing I want to remind you is there's a danger of listening to spiritually dead people. There's a danger to listening to spiritually dead people. Spiritually dead people say scary things like this. Don't you think you're going to church a little bit too much? Don't you think that uh, you're reading your Bible too much? When did you become a Jesus freak? That's nice that you found religion. That's good for you. And so we have to be careful not to listen to spiritually dead people. We have to listen to who we're following. So Jesus encounters our commitment. And this is the last guy here. Jesus encounters our commitment. And so as Jesus encounters our commitment, look at verse 61. He says, And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first... Uh, but uh, another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid farewell to those who are at my house. So this man also says, Lord, I know that you're Lord. And by the way, I'm just going to throw this at you this morning. The Lord is omnipotent. Revelation 19.6 says this. says uh, uh, that, that the Lord God is omnipotent. And hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. He is all-powerful. He is all-present. He is all-knowing. He is the king of the universe. So, Lord, I will follow you. I'm ready to follow you. Um, in John 1.1, 1, 1, we see in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So before creation, Jesus was there. In the very beginning, Jesus always existed, the Word. 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 continues on and says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's who Jesus is. So understand who your commitment is. Are you making a commitment to follow His leadership? He wants to lead your life. A commitment to the leadership of Jesus. Another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. I want to know this morning, I want to follow you, but let me say goodbye to those that are at my house. Is there a bad request there? No. But Jesus is looking, he's looking into the heart here and he sees there's a commitment issue here. And so what he's looking to, he says, I want you to be devoted to the duty that I've called you to do. Look how Jesus responds to him, verse 62. Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus' point here is don't look back. You know, at one time, we were walking away from God. We were spiritually dead. We were actually walking in darkness, the scripture says, and we were away from God. And then God brings you to him. He, he wakens your heart. He awakens your soul so that you'll become a follower of Jesus Christ. Christ died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And you said, man, I'm going to turn from this way. And so all of a sudden you said, I'm going to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And you begin to walk in the light as he is in the light. So you're following him. And Jesus here says that no man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of being a follower. Look, no one who having... Let's go back there to the verse. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So here we go. My hand's on the plow. Now look at the next picture here. Have, have you ever gone out to Amish country and seen how they, how they plow? Uh, Do you ever notice, even down here at Transform, those rows are perfectly straight. I'm no farmer, but I can tell you this. It looks beautiful when you see it perfectly straight. Why are they straight? So they can plant the maximum crops. So there's organization to it. And so here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you put your hand to the plow and look back, what happens when you look back with the plow? You're no longer going straight. You've derailed. And, and that's not, not no, everybody knows that that's not how a plow works. You, you, you don't take the plow in the soil and just, just kind of go wherever you want. He says, no man who, who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is really fit for the, you're not a follower. He's saying you're not a follower if you're doing that. And so, here's what happened in my life. I was following Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, I was walking in dead. And then Jesus says, I want you to follow me. So I begin to follow Jesus Christ. And I put my hand to the plow. And every now and then I look back. Uh, you ever drive on Route 43 and really open it up? <laughs> Only to 70, that is, right? And then all of a sudden, you see something off in the window, off, out, off in the hillside there. remember one day I was looking to see if I knew where somebody lived. And I was, I was doing that. And, boy, as you do that, all of a sudden, you know what happens? Your car just drifts right with it. It's amazing. If you look to the right, your, your, your car just kind of goes right there. And all of a sudden, a truck comes down. Bah! Right on my tail. Why? Because I drifted into his lane. Don't look back. You've got to look ahead. 
And as I look ahead, as I'm pressing on towards the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ, this is what God's called us to do. He says, I want you to follow me. So my challenge to us as a church today is this. Are you really following Jesus? Let me say this. Out here there's a family, and this family is thick. And maybe as you walked away from this, you walked away from darkness, sometimes you feel bad because you left this family and you feel like you just, you left them out in the cold and all that. And God says that we can bring them to him and that's certainly important. But he never tells us to go back into this thickness. Never do we go back into the darkness and live like dead people again. Keep your hand to the plow. Who am I following? I'm following Jesus. I may struggle. I might get distracted from time to time. But Jesus says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, man, I love you with an everlasting love. And so what happens? Sometimes my plow got a little, through the years, my plow got a little bit wavering. Let me tell you, today my plow is on. My rows are straight because I'm following Jesus. I'm not going out after that family. I'm going after Jesus. And that's my invitation for you today. Will you go after Jesus? Young people, you're faced with many decisions. I want to encourage you. Young adults, man, let's, let's follow Jesus, man. You, you, guys have, you guys have some incredible opportunities to do great things for God. Let him be number one. Everything else is number two. Let him be number one. And follow him. And if you're making God the first of your decision for your college, first of your decision for your career, first of your decision for your mate, God, if, if everything's filtered through he's Lord and he's number one, you're following him first, you're going to make the right decision. But if we just take this and we let our hand off the plow, it could be many heartaches. Young parents in the building, I want to encourage you to teach your kids this. Teach them how to follow Jesus. Man, nobody did that for me as a kid. I kind of hear. I went home and taught my family stuff. I want you to do the same. I want you to take your kids and teach them the things of Jesus and, and grow them. Uh, your families, I realize that young families, you guys are making many decisions. You're making decisions about your careers. You're making decisions about your marriages. Listen, make them all about Jesus. Stick it out. Live for Jesus. Man, there's nobody that wins by quitting. Stick it out and let's go for Jesus. And for all of us that no longer are classified as young, let's keep following Jesus. Let's keep following Jesus. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to take you to Christ. He died on the cross. He paid for your sin. He was buried and he rose again the third day. And he says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so today I want to invite you to trust Jesus and follow him. And if that's you today, I want to ask you to just pray something like this. Just pray, dear Jesus, I come before you and I admit that I'm a sinner and that I need you to be my Savior. You died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You rose again the third day. Lord, I invite you into my life right now. And Lord, help me to be a follower of Jesus.
And for others in the room, maybe, maybe God's been talking to you. Maybe you've been dealing with other things. Maybe there's other priorities that have taken over. Let Jesus be number one in everything that you do. Just put him at number one. Everything else works. When you put him, God first, then your family, then everything else works out after that. You just keep him in that number one spot. Keep talking to him. Keep walking with him. Keep praying and growing in him and becoming like your master. Father God, thank you so much for this, these short six little verses in the scripture today. Three men. We see their priorities. We see their motives. We see their devotion, their commitments to you. And so, God, I pray that you'll help us as we sift through these and examine our hearts and decide to truly follow Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together today as we sing a closing song of praise to the Lord. And as we sing, let's worship him, the omnipotent, the almighty God. our great God this morning. Amen. This morning, I just thought we want to have prayer over a little bit.